0: BLOB TALK RADIO A long Time since I did an RC report, I've been doing a lot of face talk or face talk Facebook lives, and you've seen that on Sundays. and I hope that you are enjoying that, but now we're going to try to get back to the actual podcast, the RC report. I'm going to see if I can start getting the guests again or have some of you guys come on. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we had a really ga- great game coming on uh, last night, Monday Night Football. A lot of people are calling the greatest Monday Night Football game ever. Some other, some people are saying it's the greatest football game ever. I don't know. I like last year's Super Bowl. I liked a lot of Super Bowls. I think that it has to at least be really high stakes for you to call something the greatest game ever. A week 11, Monday Night Game can't be the greatest game ever because the stakes are not high enough, in my opinion. However... I fully support the fact that it was a wonderful game. It was a great game. It had back and forth action, and you didn't know who was going to win. It was almost exhausting how much they scored, which leads me to the question, is this a good thing for football? A lot of old heads were getting on television and talking on our Facebook group and in our blog, and what they were saying was that, this wasn't football and this is bad defense and this is flag football and this is arena football now there was some element of that because we know there have been the rule changes and without the rule changes we might not see a game within the 50s however we saw last night was high what we saw was high performing offense it was amazing you have Sean McVay and his motions and his max protection but he's doing crossing routes and sending guys across the field and and making and taking advantage of different concepts of play action. You have Gurley there basically being a decoy as he was hurt. And also just that you had to respect Gurley, but he did uh, hurt his ankle. He got his ankle rolled up on it. And on the other side, you had Andy Reid basically running a college offense with Patrick Mahomes. And you saw how successful that was in general, over 1,000 yards of offense. Both teams scored over 50 points. It was an amazing game. So on that end, I say it's great. It was great for football, two really good teams. Is the defenses were opportunistic. When you're talking about offense that's that excellent, that's that well schemed, that's that well executed, with that those kinds of football minds, then that's not defense. Now granted some defenses could have done better. And these are not two great defenses. Uh Los Angeles has never lived up to the hype of getting Sue and getting Tlaib and getting Peters. they never lived up to the hype of being a good defense. They aren't. But they still do have weapons. And most of all, they have Aaron Donald, and we'll get to that later. But I would also say that you can't look at this as normative. If every game is like this, then No. I don't think it's good. I don't think we should see games like this. I don't think it should become the Big 12 because when Big 12 games, honestly, there's so much scoring, they bore me. They get tired. I get tired. I look around when the games are on. I'm texting. I'm doing things around the house. I look up. Somebody else scored. It becomes so monotonous. I'm a wrestling fan. When wrestling was in its heyday, ECW came around if you don't know anything about ECW, ECW was extreme championship wrestling, and they had tables, and they had flaming tables, and they hit people with frying pans and candlesticks and chairs, and just about everything brutal you could think of in wrestling, they did at ECW, and it was the most revolutionary thing I'd ever seen. But then after a month, two, three, four, it became normative, and they kept having to do things to top themselves. So instead of just going through two tables, you go through three, or you jump into the crowd, or you light yourself on fire, or you light the table on fire. That's what happens with high scoring. It just becomes so normative, and you know that any time, at any time, in any place, in any down, there could be a score. And at some some level, that becomes boring. So I don't want this all the time. But what I do like, what I do like, is that when we have little flourishes like this and we see this excellence, I'm all for that, but I cannot be all for that on a consistent basis. Patrick Mahomes, a lot of people are saying that maybe last night's his fault. He played really well in some spurs, but we also saw the Texas Tech Patrick Mahomes. ESPN had a stat that basically said if he had the ball more than 2.5 seconds, that's where all his interceptions this year occurred. His passer rating goes down very far, while if he throws before 2.5 seconds, that means that he's doing very well. So basically, before 2.5 seconds is when Andy Reid has schemed it perfectly, and he's read it perfectly. The after 2.5 seconds is when he's trying to make something happen. He had five turnovers. As well as he played, you cannot excuse five turnovers. I love Patrick Mahomes. He's probably my favorite player to watch right now. But it was a learning curve. I said on the uh, thread that he had been taken to the learning tree, that this is one of those games, along with the New England game, everything's been smooth sailing, but there are games like this game where you have to learn your evolution of a quarterback and how to win. you got to protect the ball. you got to realize when plays are over and you have to give up to learn how to just take the small, the very small uh, yards, can't go broke making a profit. throw some check downs. Every play doesn't have to be a deep pass. Every play doesn't have to be you scrambling around and throwing the ball across your body 30 yards. It's just a learning experience. I'm not down on Patrick Mahomes, but you can't excuse. I don't care how many uh yards you throw for. You can't excuse 5 turnovers. It's not excusable. Between the turnovers with Kansas City and the penalties, I think they had 12 penalties. That was really the game right there. They're on the same level as the Rams, but the, the 12 penalties, the five turnovers, you can't overcome that. I, I don't know any team that really could. And it still was amazing how many yards they put up in total with all that going on. Aaron Donald obviously made a big impact. He was double teamed on 77% of his uh, snaps yesterday, and he got pressure consistently. He made turnovers happen. He altered. Patrick Mahomes, many times with the pressure that he was giving to him. And Aaron Donald is the best player in the NFL, guys. If you look at Pro Football Focus, Pro Football Focus has him rated as the highest for the last three years. He's taken J.J. Watt's spot. And what he's doing is getting inside pressure, even though he's double teamed. He's a beast. He's a monster. And when you get that inside pressure, you got a guy coming right at a quarterback, there's not much you can do. And I won't hear any arguments from Khalil Mack fans. No, he is not the same impact. He's a defensive lineman, an interior defensive lineman, and he still has more sacks, and he's constantly double-teamed. Khalil Mack has moved all around the line, so he won't get double-teamed as often. So I'm not hearing any arguments from Khalil Mack fans about Khalil Mack being better. It's obviously Aaron Donald, and the stats and the ratings and the grades point that out. Last thing on our game, we have to figure out how good the Rams are. Are the Rams true Super Bowl contenders? I say yes. Are they better than the Saints? I say no. If they have to go into New Orleans, would they beat the Saints? I also say no. But you can't count them out as far as, like, I'm not saying that they couldn't do it, but I just would predict that the Saints right now are the best team. But the Rams look awful good. They're gritty. You see when they're about to lose week in, week out, they've come back or they pushed hard enough so that they're back into the game, or they won the game. So on that level, they're very impressive. I don't think they're better than the Saints. If they play somebody from the AFC, they play the Chiefs. But if they had to play the Patriots or the Steelers, I'm not sure how much better they are than them. I, I think they are. But in a Super Bowl situation, you got Belichick. Who knows? But the Patriots look wounded. But I expect the Patriots to show up this week and look better. In other news, we're moving on. The Wizards have said basically they'll trade anyone on the roster. This, this little experiment went on two years too long, honestly. You got John Wall, Bradley Beal, then you, then you signed Otto Porter, which was one of the worst deals that you possibly could during that year where the cap blew up and everything, and everybody was signing all these garbage players. I, you can't build around a team, first of all, that hates each other, Scott Brooks is too weak. We saw that he couldn't handle Durant and Westbrook. I don't know what made uh, them think that he could handle Wall and Beal. But the biggest thing in this is that, it, like John Wall hasn't developed. Can you tell me why John Wall is the same exact player that he was three years ago? Can you tell me why John Wall doesn't have a jump shot yet? Can you please explain to me why? He wasn't traded before. You had to make a choice between Wall or Beal several years ago. They didn't do it. Now they're stuck. John Wall, in two years, his contract's going to blow up to $40 million. Who's trying to take for a guy who looks disinterested, a guy who came to camp out of shape, and everybody went on Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, everybody went on Colin Cowherd and said he was racist because this guy made his debut with a Dougie. But what Colin Cowherd, was trying to say is that your point guard has to be a leader and that John Wall was not serious enough to lead a basketball team and build a franchise around. He's saying he wasn't a professional, had nothing to do with the race, and I know we like to identify that all the time, but it had nothing to do with the race. And Calhurt called it. This is what John Wall has become. He's not professional. And you see that when we got the report coming out that he told – Scott Brooks to F you. At first, they made it seem like he just said it randomly, but it ends up being that he had a fight with Jeff Green or altercation with Jeff Green. Scott Brooks is trying to cut him to calm down, and he blurts out F U then immediately apologizes. There's rumors all about the team that nobody respects Scott Brooks because he lets John Wall walk all over him. And you've got all kinds of tension, and Bill has openly said it, that they have all kinds of tension, and this is how it's always been. Very dysfunctional. Evidently, Beal had a festivist kind of thing where he said uh, in the huddle, basically, let's air our grievance, say everything that we think is wrong with this team, and everybody went around, and then he looked at Scott Brooks and he blamed him. What is going on in D.C.? And why is Ernie Grunfeld still employed? 2003, he's been employed. The Wizards have never won more than 50 games or haven't won 50 games since he's been the general manager. Even when they had the Gilbert Arenas thing, he still has a job. Why? Like the, the incompetence of the teams in D.C. And they are the closest teams to me. I live in Richmond, Virginia. It's two-hour drive, two-and-a-half-hour drive of traffic. Those are the closest teams to me. And between the Redskins and between the Wizards, it's sad. It's like, is anybody actually trying to win? Are we just holding place? Are we just treading water with the teams and just to say we have a team We're there. It's ridiculous. I don't understand how it could be a mess. I'm pretty sure I can run a team better than Daniel Snyder. I'm pretty sure I can run a team better than Ernie Grunfeld. I know I can run a team better than Ernie Grunfeld. It's ridiculous. And last, not least, we have my friend Markel Fultz. I take glee in this, and it's wrong because my brother was so high on Markel Fultz and he's turned out to be a huge bust, but if you missed it today, his lawyer, which is very interesting, not his agent, but his lawyer said that he's going to go to the doctor and get his shoulder checked out. Now, nobody associated with the Sixers says that there's an injury going on. So is this a mental thing? Why does your team know? Why are you pulling yourself out, or why is your lawyer pulling you out? of the rotation, and basically off the team when the medical staff says there's nothing wrong with you. And we're not talking about a medical staff like the Spurs where they have these problems. We're talking about a medical staff that had Ben Simmons, who was hurt and took care of them. They were very cautious. They had Embiid, who they've been very cautious with him. They've been very cautious with Fultz. So I don't understand what exactly would be the problem other than Fultz. It's just a basket case. I said it on the Ringer NBA page. The guy is broken. He's like a broken toy. There were always toys when I was growing up that if you broke some of them, you just couldn't put it back. It wasn't worth the money, and it never was the same when you broke it. Some toys you can put together really easily, but some you can't. This guy's shot is broken. Whatever happened, it's a mental thing. If you saw him double pump on a free throw, then the next day he does some weird bobble thing and then shoots the ball, most of his jump shots that he shoots, are really awful broken. The Sixers need to get out of this. They need to get whatever he, they can get. He needs the spotlight off of him. He needs to go somewhere like Phoenix or even Sacramento, even though he probably would back up De'Aaron Fox, who's playing very well by, now, by the way. But he would probably back him up. But he needs to go somewhere obscure where no one's going to bother him, where there's not going to be scrutiny on him, and they're going to forget that he was even the number one pick. But where he is now... With all the attention, with all the expectations that the Sixers have, it's the worst possible place for Markelle Falls. He can't handle the pressure, period, of basketball, much less being in a pressure cooker like Philadelphia. We're going to come at you with more podcasts. This is all I have for the draft app, draft. Look at it in your Play Store and iTunes or, look, or iTunes App Store. Look at it in your Play Store. If you have a Droid, you download it. It's great to play. We're doing a lot of it in IBS. What you do, basically, it's like FanDuel or DraftKings, but what you do is you draft the team. And then once you draft your team against other people that you're competing against, then your teams play. There's football. There's basketball. There's golf. Just remember to use the promo code IBS Sports. I'd love some feedback. We can do mailbag segments. We can take calls next time, but it's going to be very regular. This is R.C. Carlton for the R.C. Report. Have a good one.